Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Escafil Files, a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's book series by K.A. Applegate. I'm Danielle, I use she or they pronouns, and you can find me on the internet at redtailtalk90, and my co-host is Jade. Hello, I'm Jade, you can find me most places on the internet at jadeoxfordrose, and I use they-them pronouns. We'll be making our way through the books, one book at a time, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time, and sharing the experience of our friends on Discord, the link to which you can find in the show notes. Uh, today, we are talking about book number 47, The Resistance, uh, which is a Jake book. We are well and truly off of our normal rotation. Uh, and... Uh, it's it's a book. Some choices um, were made, mm-hmm. to be sure. I think if this book was earlier in the series, yes. it would maybe yes. rankle less. Mm-hmm. I think there is some interesting choices here. It's just frustrating this late in the game mm-hmm. to have so much time away from the kids mm-hmm. in uh, one of the more heavy-handed parallels I've encountered, <laughs> like Sweet Jeebus. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not subtle. It's definitely not subtle. No, no, uh, this, not at all. This is definitely uh, the weakest book Ellen Giroux has written. Yeah, it's just like, Ellen, Ellen, we believed in you. <laughs> Um, It is one of those instances where I have to wonder, because I don't know enough about, like, the ghostwriting process and Mm -hmm. things like that. Like, no, were they told, okay, we want this and we want this and we want them interweaving? Mm -hmm. And (sighs) there's a number of things I find frustrating about this. And also some of it is definitely baked into the fact that as an English person, like my understanding and knowledge around the American Civil War (laughs) is kind of minimal. (laughs) Uh, Shout out to Princess Week's recent video about vampires who were Confederate soldiers when they were human, because there was some good history in that too. It's a good video essay generally, if you do not follow uh, Princess Weeks on YouTube. Uh, check her out. She's great. Um, but I suppose I should be grateful that um, we aren't getting any of that weird romanticism about the South. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess. Um, but also, given that the book is called The Resistance and the nature of... Um, the, the Animorphs and the Freehawk Bajir and the style of fighting, I feel like, given my limited understanding, it's like, mm, I'm fairly certain it weren't the boys in blue that used those kinds of tactics more <laughs> often. I'm fairly certain it was the other guys. Um, I am not an American history major of any description. I don't know if that is true. I watch a lot of movies. But <laughs> I don't know, the choice, and I don't know whether it's just a very heavy-handed thing or because, like, oh, well, we've seen the Revolutionary War and we've Mm -hmm. been to World War II, so now we need to go to the other war that Americans are definitely going to know about. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
which is half how which is what I have to assume is the case, and um, because like fairly certain, all kids in America are taught about the Civil War. It was probably in like even in elementary school, if not like the lower. Yeah, yep. Yeah, uh, in varying degrees of truthfulness. Yeah, I'm not saying about the accuracy of the the history of education, <laughs> like how sanitized it is and and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, because I mean, is this a because if you want to get oh well, it's it's quite clever because obviously the Civil War was all like brother against brother, and we got some good ref- thinking of uh, Jake reflecting about Tom in this book. And being on different sides of a war, except that's not what is happening with the Yurk invasion, mm-hmm. so it doesn't actually work. Mm-hmm. And then, like, a Yurk member of the Free Hawk Bajir being a kind of a pivotal element of the eight bot in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just. It's not an interesting thing for me to especially read as mm-hmm. a person. Not, I know, and I get why, but I didn't find it especially engaging. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the parallels with this um, ancestor of Jake's, um, m- more than any, it doesn't strengthen Jake's story. Mm-hmm. It's not a deft enough yeah. tale to feel like it's been worth losing about like maybe a a third of the book, a little bit more to this other perspective, to this other story that does so little in terms of oh, well, sometimes you need to pull your head out of your ass and accept that you're going to have allies that you maybe weren't prepared to deal with and some <laughs> people aren't going to like it. And then, because this is a kid's book, we can't have somebody be racist all the way through if they're a good guy and eventually mm. everyone will come round. Yeah. That ain't how that works either. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate that the uh, Isaiah that we meet, like Jake's great-great-grandfather or whatever, is a conflicted person, is working with his own set of morals and presumptions that does present him as like a foil to Jake that mm-hmm. I find interesting. I just think there's ways they could have done it better. Mm-hmm. Eh. Because, and what bugs me especially is for all the and I know you feel the same way, the uh, way the hawk Bajir are treated by Jake and the other animals up to a point is shittily paternalistic. Mm-hmm. The A plot of this book is really compelling and good. Mm-hmm. Um, I will give it credit, uh, Ellen's writing shining through, like the action scenes, even mm-hmm. the historical ones, are incredibly well written. Yes. Um, and the... Um, attack on the Freehawk Bajir Valley is really good. Mm-hmm. So, kudos to uh, uh, an excessive amount of water and slash liquid being used in an offensive manner. <laughs> um, we love yep. a theme. And there's elements of this story, and we'll get into the specifics. I just, while we're talking generally, like, it's cool to see 
even if a, we know that as we get in, a chunk of time has happened since what happened on the aircraft carrier. But the fact that that is having repercussions still, mm-hmm. like the books have always been pretty good about acknowledging previous events, but with how in within like universe the time mm-hmm. frame is getting quicker. Mm-hmm. Like seeing the fallout of Axe's choice and the way that's impacted the relationship with the others, Marco continuing to you know, and, and the way that they're all like, well, this has happened, so why don't we go public? And right. that awareness of how mm-hmm. quickly things are changing for them mm-hmm. and what that means. Mm-hmm. Desperate times, desperate measures, all that jazz. Um, so for those who have not read the book, um, uh, this book is, uh, intercut throughout its entire length with, a different POV. Um, but this time it's not the POV of, like, one of the other Animorphs, like we had in, uh, say, 42, um, it is intercut with one of Jake's ancestors um, named Isaiah Fitzhenry, who was an officer in the American Civil War uh, on the side of the Union. Um, and uh, as Jade mentioned, and as I also feel, it feels... Roughly, like, a third to half of the chapters in this book are from Isaiah's journal and perspective. Um, and it's obviously, uh, an attempt at drawing parallels, um, between these two wars and between, uh, ex- uh, specifically, um, Isaiah is faced with whether, the choice whether or not to, uh, allow some, uh, black freedmen to fight in his uh drastically underpowered army um and that is paralleled with uh the a plot as jade said of uh the horkbajir valley is in grave danger um and the horkbajir want to stay and defend it um and it's not it's not a subtle parallel. <laughs> um, it is not very strong in terms of like what it's actually doing. There are several points in here where I'm just kind of confused as to what we're supposed to be taking away from it. Um, and it, I, I just think that, uh, as Jade mentioned, if this book had come earlier in the series, um, it would have been one thing, you know, kind of an interesting, uh, take, um, or plot device that we've seen. But this late in the game, it really just feels like it's taking away from important time we could be spending with our main characters. Um, all that said, before we dive in, uh, some book specific content warnings. For descriptions of the Civil War and period typical racism, uh, it's pretty gross, especially um, because it doesn't hold back in the fact that, hey, Union folks were fucking racists too. Uh, 
Yay. Um, and also extremely paternalistic attitudes towards the Hork-Bajir. They're not, they're not treated as stupid as they are in other ones, except like kind of at the beginning where Jake's like, you should all run away. And everyone's like, no. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Are you crazy? Uh, we'll get into that. Um, but for the most part, they're treated as pretty capable through the rest of the book. Um, Toby comes off great in this book. Love Toby. Love her. Um, she is phenomenal. Um, but, but yeah, you know, some, some typical kind of grossness towards the Hork-Bajir. Um, and, uh, the descriptions of violence, as we have seen in other descriptions of war violence before, are pretty graphic and, uh, distressing. Um, but that's not really new. Um... Can you think of any other content warnings we should put up at the top here? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Um, Not so, genuine ones. Yeah. Like the the presence of Trekkies, people something <laughs> might find <laughs> something worth. I love them too. Um, yeah, we'll shout to out to the continuing theme of uh, nerds are <laughs> genuinely good allies to have because they're just going to be real hyped about meeting aliens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So really, uh, if I want to be flippant and distressing, your best place to go recruiting guerrilla fighters for your secret war against aliens is probably Comic-Con, <laughs> is what I'm getting from this. It's nearby. Mm. Uh, so the book opens, um, with Jake coming home, uh, after a meeting at the barn that didn't go well. Everyone is mad and tensions are high. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, but he comes home and his mom is like, thank goodness you're home. I have to go pick up the dog from the vet. Uh, can you help batten down the hash hatches because, uh, there's a big storm coming. Um, and <laughs> it's, you know, it's a nice little interaction of Jake having to be the child that he actually is instead of the general that he is. Um, and he he talks about it in his monologue, like, you know, nobody calls him Commander Jake or Chief Jake or Captain Jake. Um, he gets Prince Jake, but only from Axe. And uh, he says, it's my job to keep us alive. Uh, my entire life is devoted to strategy and preparation and battle against the Yerks. It's my job to think about the moral and practical consequences of our actions. I like to think I'm not one of those guys with a huge ego, but sometimes I feel like no one notices what I'm doing, and it bothers me, both that no one notices and that I care. And you get the sense that, like, uh, tensions are high in the Animorphs, and um, uh, th this is not a place of, like, egoism from jake right like we we have seen been in his head multiple times before and any time that he's written well 
We know that he is not the kind of person to want to be called a commander or a captain or anything like that. Um, yeah, the energy here is like, it's wanting that recognition of yes. how hard it is. And, yes. And I, I like, I definitely get the feeling that this is somebody, clearly we know this meeting went bad between the kids because the others do know how mm-hmm. hard he works. Yeah. But also, like, not being able to say to his mum, like, I just had a really shit day doing this. Can I Can please I take a please? nap? <laughs> yeah. Let Jake sleep, uh, 1998. <laughs> but there is something about, like, I don't need to be valorized for a thing. I just want it acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Because it's hard. Yeah. And if nobody notices, or then why am I doing it? Mm-hmm. Almost. I, it's a very human thing. Yeah. To like, not everyone needs it. And I'm not talking about like altruism and stuff like that. But when you are carrying an enormous weight, whatever that might be, having somebody go, I'm sorry, I can't help you with this, but I'll be here with you. Big Frodo Sam vibes is what mm-hmm, I'm saying. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And because you know that in this meeting that like Jake was probably the one in the middle of a few different points of view. You know, some people we, we find out in a, in a couple pages that the meeting is essentially about like, do they go public? Like, what do they do now? Um. And some of the Animorphs are on the side of like, yes, go public, tell everybody, let's make this an all-out brawl. Um, and others are like, no, that sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> uh, and Jake is in the middle having to, to mediate and also choose sides in many ways because he's the one who is, is gonna make the decisions. Um, now usually he puts it up to a vote, but usually he's also the one making the decisions. Um, yeah, I will say, uh, it's one of those, I don't always agree with one side or the other, but mm-hmm. Jake Oldman comes down and is like, if we go public, then there's no reason for the Yerks not to either. And then mm-hmm. we're done. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a very savvy mm-hmm. point of view. Mm-hmm. And I do find it interesting because there's ripples through later of the varying attitudes towards people knowing mm-hmm. um, a choice that Jake makes later uh, in the book, which may be a bit wibbly written in a characterization wise the way it's talked about. But I like that at first we don't know whose perspective is whose. Mm-hmm. I mean, one could make an educated guess, for sure. (laughs) But I don't think it's necessarily the most obvious one. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like, like, in a kind of a a mean way, just like that Marco would be precious, like, well, Marco's lost everything already and his parents Mm -hmm. are already as safe as they're going to get. So Mm -hmm. it's an easy position for him to be in. Mm -hmm. Which, to be clear, it's not... It's a shitty situation, but he has a freedom 
in a sense that the others don't have. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, but Jake's mom is asking him to clean out the basement because they have like some contractors coming in to do some renovations or some shit, and they need to get the stuff that's in the basement out of the basement. Um, uh, which Jake, you know, eventually is just like, yeah, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> I haven't slept in days, but that's fine, I guess. Um, and that acknowledgement is cool to see, like, that he can't remember the last time he got a full night sleep. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, and, uh, if you're not aware, sleep deprivation is really bad for you. <laughs> like, physically and bad for you. mentally and emotionally. Yes, it is. It is like, really, really bad for you. Yeah, not to be flippant, but like, there's a reason why sleep deprivation is used as a form of torture. Mm hmm. Like, it is so bad. I mean, even if you just think how grumpy you get if you don't get enough sleep and just how much harder it is to concentrate when you're tired. Mm -hmm. And that these kids are constantly not rested enough. Mm -hmm. And the things they're having to do still. Yeah. Um, but Jake goes down to the basement and he's kind of like throwing shit in boxes, throwing like fucking mutual fund of course his parents have a fucking mutual fund uh papers into like one cardboard box and he comes across some of tom's old school work and delivers the just most chilling slash heartbreaking line of the book <laughs> uh Tom's old schoolwork from before he became a controller. I threw the stack into another box and started to write his name on the lid. Stopped and crossed it out. Printed trash. I didn't have a brother anymore. Jesus Brutal. Christ, Jake. Like, now, to be fair to Jake, he has been living with the enemy constantly for near on three years. And you gotta, there, there is some separation of personhood that has to happen in those kinds of situations. Uh, this is an understandable escalation of his feelings, but it is fucking heartbreaking to see that, like, yeah. his entire reason for being in this war mm. has basically been written off. Like, yeah, uh, Shrug uh, mentioned this in the uh, discussion channel, um, and how like depressing it feels um, to see Jake now at, at this point. Because what it really feels like to me, from my perspective, is this is giving up hope. Mm -hmm. And you know how they say excessive amounts of hope is a dangerous thing, yada yada yada, but. I mean, I'm sure we could get very deep into the weeds talking about how if you lose sight of what you're fighting for, it's real easy to lose yourself, mm -hmm. which I'm sure is a thing. Yeah. Because um, now 
it Jake is just here like, well, he is the general. And it's like this way that which Jake the kid has been taken over mm-hmm. by Jake the general. Mm-hmm. And playing the part of a kid is that. It's playing the part. It's not really who he is anymore. And we see this in his interaction with his mum, even mm-hmm. though it, from his perspective we're seeing it. We see it in an interaction with adults later. We've seen it in previous interactions with Andalites and things like that. Though in a sense, it's almost easy with the Andalites mm-hmm. because they don't look at him and see a child. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, granted, in the paternalistic way, they don't. They do see somebody lesser and younger, but it isn't that immediate kind of dismissal. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell you, as much as I dislike um, how young and nothing like how I picture Jake in my head on the cover art for this book. Uh, Jake is. He does look like a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm just thinking there was that Tumblr post I remember seeing forever ago talking about the casting in the Hunger Games movies and how if mm. the, like, when the, how old the characters are in the books versus how old the actors are playing them and if they actually looked the ages the characters were. Mm-hmm. how much more horrifying it would be and she's like ding 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 welcome to the point mm-hmm. um because like 12 13 year old 14 year olds like a lot of the time they look so young mm-hmm. though now we're getting into a very upsetting thing societally where kids are overly encouraged to look older mm-hmm. um it's a very sort of like what's it uh, Western thing, mm-hmm. especially, but you see these children, and I don't say this to be belittling, but they are children, and like the boys are styling their hair a certain way and dressing a certain way, and the girls are like make doing like such complicated shit with makeup. Mm-hmm. Like I see it on TikTok as well. Yes, I'm on TikTok. It's also J Dogs for Dries. Um, but like contouring and stuff like that, and somebody making a gag about like with the two thousands looks coming back in. Mm-hmm. It's like, excuse me, we wore glitter eyeshadow and lip gloss, and that was it. <laughs> and this like these advanced like two thousands looks with like all these layers of makeup. It's like, I no, but that need to grow up and how. They are both clearly children, but also trying so hard to look older. Mm-hmm. And I just despair a little because it says so much about the world that we live in that children feel like they have to do that. Mm-hmm. And because they're seeing the world burn around them. So maybe they do want to be adults because then they can feel like they can have some agency. I do not mm-hmm. envy the young <laughs> at all. It's a shit time, and it's a scary time. Mm-hmm. But just your heart breaks for Jake to have him be like this about mm-hmm. Tom. Somebody we know for a fact he idolized. Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder like, mm-hmm. uh, if he doesn't have a brother anymore, does... How does he think about Jake the Kid? 
Mm. Um, and then in, in many ways, we know, we know that one of Jake's, uh, character conflicts is him wanting to go back to being that just like, uh, nobody who likes basketball and is a little bit of a dweeb, uh, kid and how that's basically impossible for him now mm -hmm. um yeah it's uh it's a lot yeah and part of you wonders like how much is that statement like a result of the trauma Is it a, how much of that response is down to the trauma and how much is a coping mechanism? Mm. How much is it him looking after himself? Because mm -hmm. he can't think that way. He can't afford to. Mm -hmm. Because of whether, and it does make me wonder how much of that is, um, this thought is just occurring to me as I say it. So apologies if it is a little rambly, but on the backside of, what Axe was willing to do mm. as well. Mm -hmm. And how much is like, is this a recent development for JJ? Like, I can't think about him that way anymore because it's a liability for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good Which point. Which is, oof. Yeah. Because obviously Jake has his other ties, but one less person to care about is one less way that thing that can be used against you mm -hmm. is one less thing to hold you back yeah and what gets really upset is oh do you think he actually believes that or is he trying to convince himself of that i mean he's almost certainly just trying to convince himself of that mm. i feel like he's and at that... a point where mm -hmm. he can Similar to how we talked about Axe last time, we were like, yes, Axe mm. would have would have gone through with his threat, but it would have destroyed him. Yeah. I think we see a similar thing here with Jake. Um mm. which is that he is he he isn't truly convinced that he doesn't have a brother anymore, but I think he could certainly act like that mm -hmm. if he had to. Yeah, if you say something enough times, you can maybe convince yourself of it. Mm -hmm. um. <sighs> but uh, we get a little bit about what was going on in the meeting. Um, it was not a pleasant meeting. Tempers were blown. Um, they can't agree on what to do. Ever since Marco had to morph in front of his dad, there's been talk of dropping our cover altogether. Tell people who we are, tell the media who we are, and what's really happening on Earth so that we can all start fighting back. Um, Rachel, of course, is dying to go public, kick butt, and never look back. Uh, I like that Jake says, not that she's necessarily wrong, but she doesn't always think about consequences. <laughs> um... Which is just a great way to describe Rachel. Um, uh, and we get the point about, you know, Jake thinking that the only reason the Yerks haven't made a full scale totally out in the open attack 
is because the stealthy approach is still working for them, at least partially. Um, so if they blow the Yerk's cover, what would be their incentive for not obliterating every major city in the world? Um, they could do it. We know they weren't opposed to using human nuclear technology, but they wouldn't even need it. A couple of blade ships could destroy a city, and the Yerks would only lose a few million potential hosts in the process. And we couldn't risk that. Um, which is uh, one of one of the strangely harder concepts to get through. Uh, it, I feel like in Dumb Kids, there was a, a, a portion of time there where I was like, oh god, they're going to take this public, and then I'm going to have to, like, go ham. <laughs> Uh, which is why I, I always stressed that, like, listen, the Yerks, you, you want this to be a secret invasion. <laughs> because if it's not, a lot of people will die. <laughs> um, Be grateful that it's Vessel 1 OG in Dumb Kids who mm -hmm. is still digging being sneaky. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, we took out Vista 3 pretty early, so the person <laughs> getting for a full-out war mm -hmm. is not running the show, so we got, had that in our favor, at least. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we get uh, Jake musing on the, the fact that no one believes the Andalites are coming. Um. Uh, although Axe continues to pretend to, um, be, and that's part of why he continues, he favors continued secrecy is because, you know, we just got to give the Andalite fleet a little more time to, to appear. Um, even though they, none of them think that's happening. Um, but hope, even false hope is better than none at all, which really drives home that that statement about him not having a brother anymore, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. <sighs> uh, but he's still going through the basement stuff, and he finds a footlocker um, that has a note on it that says, For Jake from Grandpa G, um, who is the grandfather that died in Book 31 that they went to the funeral for out in the boonies. And there was a whole thing about Jake thinking he was going to have to kill Tom. Um, but this is the footlocker that Grandpa G left Jake in his will. Um, and it's got a bunch of, like, military accoutrement in it. Um, and... Uh, scrolling past just some thematic shit. There's a, a soldier's coat, um, a bayonet, a knife, um, medals, um, a few other things, um, and a journal. Um, and in the middle of Jake finding this, Tom comes home. Um, and there's just this, you really get the sense that Tom is trying less and less and less to pretend to be a, a kid. Mm. Um, uh, 
you just like flat affect, not caring about the people around him, uh, just like brushing off Jake and his parents totally, um, leaving at all hours. You really kind of have to feel for Jake's parents because their kids have suddenly just like fucked off. Mm -hmm. Um, just the, is this just normal teenager behavior? <laughs> like. <laughs> How much should be we worried about this? <laughs> uh, and uh, Jake goes back to the journal, flips through it a little bit, realizes realizes that is the journal of Lieutenant Isaiah Fitzhenry, who was a Civil War quote unquote hero. Um, and uh, the the handwriting is is neat and easy to read jake kind of like looks at the first page a little bit sees that like the first the first entry in this journal is basically just isaiah being like yo i know that the confederate army is out there uh but will he ever attack or is he just gonna like sit out there making us like waiting for us to die of fever um, and if he does come, is it possible that we could possibly be ready? Um, but Jake doesn't take the book. Like, this isn't, book 47 is not a book where, you know, Jake has this journal and is, like, reading through it in, like, off moments of the other stuff. It's like he finds this journal and puts it away, and we, the readers, are uh, introduced to the events that happened in the journal, but we're not reading the journal verbatim and Jake isn't reading this journal. Um, so it is just for our benefit as the readers. So it's really yeah, like actual, a strange the text of the journal doesn't mm -hmm. come back till right at the end. It's like a cap. Mm hmm. So it's like this really strange thing, because I feel like if Jake had the book with him and was like reading, actually reading through it, there would be more of an interplay between what happened and how Jake is thinking about and maybe applying that to his own situation. I feel like it would be much more interesting. And in fact, that's what I thought this book was. On remembering it, I was like, oh yeah, Jake finds this journal and <laughs> spends the book like bouncing back and forth between these, between what's happening now and reading through the journal and like thinking about the parallels. Well, it's not at all Instead, what happens. <laughs> no, we the reader get treated to, hey, Civil War fucking sucks, right? War yeah. sucks. Yeah. And uh, hey, it just keeps on happening. Uh huh. Uh, so chapter three, we cut to Isaiah Fitzhenry um, in December, right before Christmas of 1864, in a place called Sinclair's Ridge, Tennessee. Um, and we learn that Isaiah Fitzhenry is a young soldier. He's only 20, um, who has been thrust into command when his superior officer dies of fever. Um, 
His battalion is defending a railway junction in Tennessee. It's an important junction because it is the junction through which a lot of supplies go through to reach um, the the Union armies further south. Um, and you know, not only are they few in number. Um, defending this, like, small podunk town. Uh, they are also, like, stricken with this fever. Most of the men in their detachment are down. Um, of the original 60 men, they now have fewer than 25. Um, because primarily of this fever and because of, like, frostbite and complications due to the cold. Um, and if that wasn't bad enough, um, a Confederate soldier cuts the telegraph lines so that Isaiah cannot reach uh, Washington to receive new orders based on the fact that his superior officer is dead. Uh, so he's kind of just forced to continue to obey the last orders that they got, which is to defend this location uh and uh keep Sinclair's Ridge Rail Junction in Union hands. Um he goes to visit the man that was captured who cut the telegraph lines. Um and Or he tries to go there, but on the way there, he is waylaid by, um, what is, what the fuck is his name? Is this Reigns? Yeah, Reigns. Uh, Reigns is one of his subordinates who comes up and is like, yo, a bunch of men just came down from the hills, uh, which apparently is code for, uh, Black men who uh, are either runaway slaves um, or otherwise got away from their enslavers um, and were hiding up in the hills to stay away from that shithole. Um, uh. <sighs> And they've come down to this Union army in the hopes of being able to fight with the Union army to defend their uh, uh, freedom. Um, it uh, goes poorly because everybody's a fucking racist. And doesn't want these black men yeah. to be fighting in their army. Yeah, some of it comes across more like, because obviously we can't hate Isaiah because he's our POV character and these are children's books. Mm. And a lot of it's coming from like, he doesn't get why they're there and there would be a riot if he put weapons in the hands of uh, of black men. And he worries his soldiers won't fight alongside them. Um, 
It feels like somebody who feels very bound by societal expectations of him. Yeah. Yeah. He is floundering trying to make the right call and doing a not a great job. Yeah. Um and it is it is that energy of somebody who is just holding on to the familiar in an unfamiliar situation. Yeah. It's uh like he the when they ask, like, hey, we want to fight, can we fight? Basically, his only retort is like, but you can't. <laughs> For yeah, the majority I mean, of this book, that's the only reason he gives. Which, I don't know when it started being the case, but even I know that there were, like, enlisted black men in the Union Army. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> It was after so, the Emancipation Proclamation, so. Uh, I don't know what year that was. It was before the events in here, because uh, he mentions there it. We okay. Well, and they, in, in which case, my point doubly stands. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose there's something to be said about portraying Union shot soldiers as being just as yeah. fallible. Um, but there is also the air of, oh, well, they are in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Apologies to my wonderful <laughs> friends in Tennessee who I know <laughs> and to all the fucking American South South people, residents I know who are fucking diehard leftists and all that wonderful good shit. But mm -hmm. that doesn't change the reputation misplaced as it can be about the American South, particularly during uh the civil war mm -hmm. so yeah uh so isaiah is basically like uh nope you can't be soldiers but you can dig trenches for us please <laughs> and the i really so the the man who is kind of the spokesperson for these black men his name is jacob um and there's definitely a bit of, like, respectability politics going on in here because he's, like, portrayed as extremely well-spoken, whereas many of the other black men are not. Uh, um, but Jacob is like, look, we know that you, your men are sick. You don't have enough men to defend this place. You need us. Here we are. Yeah, Jacob um, basically being like, you're fucked and you're really going to say no. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, my guy. Yeah. And even, even like Isaiah's like, look, digging the trenches are, is important soldier work. Like we, we do need this. We really need this done. And he's even like, yeah, we'll dig your trenches, but then we also want to fight. And Isaiah's just like, yeah, but you can't. Like, you know, you can't. You can't. And that that's the only he he in his head he has these bat these um uh justifications of like his own men won't stand for it the townspeople who are very weakly pro unionist would uh rebel and like the armed force needs to be united or else they will be 
fucked even more than yeah. they already are. And it's there like this element to it as well. Like we find later that like using the firearms of this period is hard. Yes. And it'd be one thing just like we don't have if if any of his mental or physical we don't have time to teach you how to use the weapons in a way that will actually be helpful. Yeah, but counterpoint, they do manage to teach them how to use them oh, yes, in a yes, day. They do. <laughs> yes, I but if that had been one of the arguments that was then yeah. undercut by actually yeah. Yeah. these guys are pretty fucking fast learners. Yeah. Um also, but they could just like, well, you don't want to give that, you could give them a bayonet. Mm -hmm. But then it would still yeah. be, which is the crux of the issue is they don't want to arm black men. Yeah. Um and yeah, we get a whole tirade on why you don't want to arm the black yeah, men yeah. from our uh, token extra racist. Yes. Um later. Um uh so the the conversation ends, but it's not over. Um Jacob goes off to to start doing the fucking digging work because they've been given work, so they're going to do it. Um We'll do a job to make Lincoln proud, he says, uh, in uh, fucking sarcasm dripping from every single word. Um, it's it's just a lot. Uh, and we cut back to Jake. Um, it's also interesting to me, and I noted this in the document, um, that the leader of the black men is named Jacob. Mm -hmm. when our our leader of the Animorphs is Jake, short for Jacob. Um, mm -hmm. It's just like, you made a choice there, and I'm not sure what, you're, what you mean by it, but yeah. it's an interesting I mean, choice. I realized going later, I highlighted this, there's a character we meet later who is like a caregiver who's got a mm -hmm. two-syllable name, who's the one mm -hmm. doing the medical stuff and looking after called Sally. There is Isaiah's best friend, Mac. Mm -hmm. uh, and Reigns sounds an awful lot like Rachel and is the one who is the most, like, soldiery. It ain't mm -hmm. fucking subtle. <laughs> <laughs> you start looking for it, you will see many yeah. examples. Yeah. But, again... And this is what we were talking about at the top. The problem with these parallels is they're not done very well. Mm -hmm. And so it pulls you out looking like, wait, what am I supposed to think is the point here? Yeah. Why is this the choice? Mm -hmm. What am I supposed to be reading into this? Mm -hmm. And it like pulls you out because you have to go, wait, so this person is this person? What does this mean? Yeah. Because Jacob and Isaiah are very much painted through the historical sections of reflections of each other and the choices that they make and the things they're willing to do. And mm -hmm. spoilers, they're going to die basically at the same time. Yeah. Possibly. The implication is there. Mm -hmm. And it is like, are we seeing the two sides of Jake? Here. Mm. Is that what we're meant to be seeing or taking away? The man called Jake, as it were, and Jake's own ancestor. Eh? Question mark? Shrug emoji? 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Because it's so clumsy in places. Yeah. Uh, but hey, j- nothing like getting a phone call at five to five in the morning. Yep. Um, Jake picks it up on instinct. Uh, it's Cassie. And um, Cassie, bless, awful liar. Sorry, I must have hit the wrong speed dial. But while I have you, I've been meaning to tell you that Toby asked me to thank you for loaning her your history notes. I think she likes you. Uh, Great. I said, okay, go feed the chickens or whatever you vet types do at this hour of the morning. Give the animals their meds, actually. Bye. Cassie, talking nonsense, also she could work in the code word Toby. It meant one thing, there was trouble for the Freehawk Bajir, and I had to get to their valley now. So Jake sneaks out of the house. The storm from the day before is clearly over. Um, the house is cold. Uh, he's able to sneak past Tom's room after like cracking the door to check that he's not going to get made leaving the house. Um, and as he walks in to double check, the floor creaks and he's like, ah, but no, Tom's not actually there. He's mm-hmm. um, like the bed stuffed with pillows, the old tried and tested method of making it look like somebody's in the bed when they're not. Um, and so like Tom's out on yerk business. So he's able to get out of the house, leaving a note for his parents. Went running early, going straight to school. Don't worry, I'll catch an egg McMuffin, which upsetting is all hell. Just <laughs> how much is he doing this? A 13-year-old. You know, mm-hmm. um, but he heads out to the garden, climbs up into the tree, and then morphs Peregrine Falcon to head to the uh, to the valley. And we got a lot of musing as he goes about like taking in the sights underneath him and about how anyone could be a controller, how controllers could be anywhere, um, and how sort of there's less of them as he moves out to the woods, and it's easier for him to breathe. Um, we get the also interesting detail that getting to the valley feels very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, that every time he gets lost for a moment, um, he gets almost there, the weird feeling of being lost, and then just is at the valley. So good to know that the uh, Elamist's fuckery is still working. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's the last to arrive. and. Uh, as Axe informs him when he arrives uh, that the situation is very bad and the colony is in serious danger. Yeah. Um, and the tension between Axe and Jake is obvious. Um, I say tension. Axe is being very deferential. Mm-hmm. Like, eyes down, um, main eyes down, stalk eyes keeping watch. And there is this acknowledgement from Jake um, that since the incident on the aircraft carrier, Axe hasn't looked him in the eyes and how Jake is almost glad for it. And he's conflicted about what happened, uh, how he's both proud of Axe and mad at him. Um, And we get this note that Axe's gamble had worked and in a strange way, I was glad he'd relieved me of having to make the decision. Um, but now they're both uh, pretending kind of like that nothing happened <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so they can get on with what they're doing, with what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, 
Toby is there to explain uh, what happened. Now pushing seven feet tall, mm-hmm. we stand. We love a giant woman. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hawk-Bajir with special powers, apparently, as they say, uh, being a seer and all that. But uh, as she explains that um, uh, while the animals, the rest of the free hawk as well as Marco's parents, are listening from a distance, the, um, the free hawk had raided a facility yesterday and rescued four hawk uh, Unfortunately, one of their own warriors was captured. Yeah. And this is real bad because that means that the moment that hawk is infested is going to be able to lead the Yerk forces to the valley. Yeah. Um, it is a pretty obvious plot hole uh, that this Hork-Bajir, having been one of the ones that lives in the valley, has almost certainly seen the Animorphs as humans. <laughs> Um, has been around the fire while Tobias was there, has seen Eva and Peter move in and help apparently teach the hork stuff about, like, organization. Um, because they fucking need that. But, like, nobody brings up the fact that all of this knowledge is in that hork head. Just the fact that the location of the hork Valley is in this hork head. Um, and I can see why it's just ignored, because that would make things extremely fucking complicated. Yeah. I suppose if we were feeling generous, if, I'm not saying we are, um, we know how little the Yerks think of hawk intelligence. Yeah. And while a Yerk has access to all of a host's mind, you do have to go looking. Mm-hmm. So a Yerk, the Yerk would have to consider, would have to think to go through the hawk memories to pull that stuff out. And if their priority is, this is a free hawk they can show us how to get to the rest. Yeah. But it still does also strike me though that the kids wouldn't mention all of the other things that said Hawk Bashir would know. Mm-hmm. Even if I could see why a Yerk might not assume. Yeah. I bet there's something useful in here as uh-huh. well as the location of where we're going to go because everybody is always underestimating the hawk Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I put in that, you know, I'm kind of glad they don't bring this up because it would lead to discussions like that of like, oh, but how much would he have realized that we're human or some bullshit like <sighs> that, you know, like. Oh, no. Nope. Nope. That would have been bad. Right. Or, right. or like you said, the Yerks just being like, Oh yeah, this hawk literally has a memory of a hawk turning into a person, uh, but I'm sure that's just his imagination. Um, 
you know, just some fucking bullshit like that. Uh, but it, we don't get that, thankfully. Instead, we just have this plot hole that is hand waved. And I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, and so, so the, the important thing here is that, uh, all of the Animorphs immediately are like, well, time to pack up and fucking leave. Um, because the Yerks are coming and we, you do not have enough people to defend this valley. Um, like, the Yerks will get here and they will capture and or kill all of you. 